Uh, welcome again to our uh, third week of our five-week series called Anxious you know, for Nothing. What we're doing is we're taking a look at five verses uh, in our New Testament. We're going verse by verse in the book of Philippians to help us understand what it means to go through, to deal with, to manage our way through worry, stress, and anxiety. And so hopefully the first couple of weeks have been helpful, and today will be probably one of the most practical. It's not going to be rocket science. It's going to be something brand new that you never heard of, but you want to begin to evaluate, am I actually doing this so that I can experience the peace that God talks about internally in the midst of stress and chaos? So before we jump in, I asked on uh, social media some humorous things uh, that stress you out, some, some things that may be silly to you or other people, and there was so much driving, by the way, you know, that was mentioned. Let me give you an example. Uh, Jamie Bradway said, my husband's driving is uh, what stresses her out on a regular basis. To right underneath her, it didn't take but 30 seconds, Donald Bradway replied, my wife telling me how to drive. So, so you can see uh, the issues just drive separately. I think that may solve your stress. Uh, Riley said the exit ramp at Lincoln on I-90 at 745 a.m. No one cares about safety. It's pretty specific if you've been you know, on, on that one. Uh, Carlotta said driving next to semis. Anybody else get stressed out driving next to semis? Okay. Uh, Susanna said being behind a logging truck. And then she asked me, have you ever seen Final Destination? I might die. Or elevators. It's a little metal death box hanging on a string. <laughs> now I'm stressed out. I didn't used to be about getting on an elevator, you know, before then, but now I am now. But this was my favorite. Uh, ladies, uh, this, this may be more in your camp, I think, than the guys. Nikki wrote, buying beer while very pregnant. I had to buy Guinness for a stew and some beer bread I was making, but I kept stressing about what people would think of me. So I bought a bunch of stew stuff that I already had just so I could explain to the cashier I was making stew. <laughs> Anybody that's ever, ever been there where you're like, oh, what are people going to think as they buy stuff that you already have just to, all right. Wendy says uh, that my keys or cell phone will fall into a porta potty. That stresses her out. Is this often that you go to a porta potty? I mean, we got to help Wendy out here. Uh, Joni, speaking of potties, uh, being sucked into the airplane toilet. <laughs> stresses her out. It still makes me jump every time I push flush, which gets, I'm like, that eh, is pretty loud. And you could literally get sucked into that thing, you know? All right, Kimberly said, uh, finding a piece of hair in my food. Yeah, that's exciting. Or in my mouth and knowing that I have to pull it out. That's pretty stressful. Uh, Bruce said, uh, showing up to church only to find someone sitting in my seat. <laughs> Just so you know. Just so you know, at 9.30, Bruce sits right here, these two. So if you ever want to mess with him, come at 9.30 and just sit right there and just watch the stress, you know, on his face. Uh, and it was funny because he was here last service. I told everybody that same thing. So he's, he's messed up now. Uh, Josh uh, uh, wrote, uh, I worry that someone will drop a hungry, aggressive, great white shark in the pool that I'm swimming in. Yep, Josh, Jaws messed me up, man. Just messed me up. The little anxiety there. Speaking of which, we were in, in the Philippines in the South China Sea, and uh, Ronald, you know, from Africa, from Uganda, was there. Uh, we've become actually really good friends. Uh, Deke, you know, his associate was there, and uh, Ronald doesn't know how to swim, and so had a little fun. You know, at first we got pictures of me holding him like a baby, you know, like this. So here's this grown man, you know, with this awkward-looking snorkeling mask, you know, trying to, trying to swim. And, uh, and so I had a little more fun with them because we kind of built that relationship. And I said, Ronald, you do know that there are a lot of sharks 
in the South China Sea. And I said, and they like dark meat. <laughs> it's not racist. And he looked at me and he says, no, no, no. I think they like white meat. <laughs> and so Adam heard our conversation and uh, he was behind us about you know, six yards away. And I looked at him and he dove under the water and he went right at Ronald's calf and he goes, oh, and grabs his calf. I've never seen somebody walk on water before. It was <laughs> epic. He jumped up and was like, oh, oh, oh. And he just, he just jumped out of the water so fast. We started dying laughing. He's never talked to me since, but it's a, <laughs> it was funny at the time. Seriously, uh, why are we the most stressed out nation in the world? Uh, we talked about that being the, 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 the stats of today, that America is the most stressed out nation in the world. What, what causes you know, some of these anxieties in your life and see if you might relate to some of these. Uh, first, for example, is change. Any kind of change is stressful. Uh, if you take a stress test, they ask you one of the questions, how much change have you experienced? Well, whether you realize it or not, in the last 30 years, our culture and society and even globally has experienced more change than the previous 300 years combined. That's the rapidness of change. And so when you experience change, you know it creates stress. I mean, think about technology and how much change, and we think it's all good, but it can also bring a lot of stress. Uh, we are instantly, because of this change, because of this technology, made aware of things that are in our faces on a regular basis if we allow it to be. You know, we're told about global warming and terrorist attacks in the economy, and then we see real issues that are taking place in the world. One catastrophe just begins to get into the recesses of our brain, and another one shows up on our feed, and another one, and another one. No wonder we're stressed out on a regular basis. Change. Or, or, or maybe this one is you. Uh, do you realize that we are moving faster than ever before, and yet we feel like we have less time? That doesn't make any sense. Right, but think about it. Our grandparents, great-grandparents, uh, it could be they could only travel as far as the, 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 the horse or their feet could take them. Now we travel through time zones as, as if they're neighborhoods, and we can instantly get to places over and over and over, and we look at our calendar, and we look at our day, and we're like, man, there just never seems to be enough time, and so we find ourselves stressed. What about the onslaught of personal challenges? Uh, you or someone you know is facing financial difficulties, fighting cancer, going through a divorce, battling addiction, or dealing with some kind of loss of some kind. And you're made aware of these things because of the connection on social media or other places where we're able to connect so quickly. And then it causes us to be fearful, which is why safety is almost the number one value in America today, because we're so afraid of what could happen to our lives because we see, read, hear about what taking place in other people's lives, which causes stress. Uh, what about the comparison game? It seems to be at an all-time high. Ask the millennial generation that's growing up, and the comparison game, the feeling like you never measure up compared to other people. We continually look at social media and look at other people's highlights and compare them to our reality or worst days. How easy that is to be like, well, I'm not smart enough, pretty enough, I don't have as much as so-and-so as they took 45 minutes to get the right picture in the right light that they don't tell you about. See, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the prison of anxiety is actually optional. It still is. We're trying to experience a promise of God. God promises that the peace of him, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. How do we experience that peace? How do we experience that calm? And so last week, we took the acronym of CALM, C-A-L-M, and Ryan talked about last week, C is to celebrate. 
Then we're going to ask, leave, and meditate. So last week we talked about celebrating God's goodness. Didn't Ryan do a great job, you know, last week on celebrating God's goodness? <laughs> All four of you were excited about that. Sorry, Ryan, I thought you did a good job. Uh, let me remind you of one more thing before we move on there. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In other words, we rejoice in God. We don't rejoice in our suffering, our sorrows, our difficulties, but by focusing our thoughts, our attitude, our mind on God, it puts things into perspective. Now, let me uh, just ask you this question. The guy who wrote this is Paul. Where did he write this letter from? Prison. He wrote it from jail. Don't think American jails. Think first century jails. And he's only in prison because he proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason he's there. And yet he's the one who has the audacity, who has the perspective to be able to say, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, in the midst of what you would think would be a pretty stressful situation. Today we're going to talk about asking God for help. Before we do, I want to remind you of next week, leaving our concerns with Him is what we're talking about, and it's Mother's Day weekend. So I want to invite all of you ladies, we're going to be celebrating moms, but we're going to also be celebrating ladies in general. I want you to be here, I want you to show up, and if you are a mom, I want to encourage you, which I would never do this in any other situation, but I want to encourage you to use your mom guilt. Because it works. Here's how it should work. All I want for Mother's Day is I want you to attend with me to service. And you give them the look, they give them the stare, you give them the tone, whatever. You don't have to buy me any presents. You have to, honey, just come with me to Mother's Day. You'll be very surprised at how willing people are because we do not want to disappoint mama. Now, with dad, it's a different story. But with moms, <laughs> it's a whole different thing. So I just want to encourage you, use your mom guilt, and let's see what happens next week. Look forward to seeing you there. Then well, lastly, we're going to talk about meditating on good things two weeks from now. So let me ask you this. In the midst of stress and anxiety, think about stress in an anxious place. Do you enjoy being in a home? Do you enjoy being in a work? Do you enjoy being in a neighborhood where there are people who in stressful situations are exuding or letting everybody know they're stressed? Or do you, would you rather be in a room or do you more enjoy being in a room when there is stress and there's anxiety that the person is actually calm? How many of you guys like being around the stressful people? How many of you guys like being around calm people? Self-reflect. Which one are you? All right, when things get stressful, when things get anxious, when things get hard, when things are just up to here emotionally or otherwise, are you a person who kind of blows it out because you've got to get it out but not realizing the effect that it takes place on everyone else. Now, why am I saying this? Because our first verse today is from Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Now, that Greek word gentleness describes a temperament that is seasoned, that is mature. It envisions the attitude of someone who is level-headed, who is tempered, steady, or even-handed. The opposite would be an overreaction or a sense of panic. The gentleness, God says, is evident to all. In other words, when stress, when anxiety, when hard things come in our lives, are we one that explodes in the midst of the moment, recognizing, not realizing that we're actually creating and demonstrating more stress in the lives of other people, or do we find ourselves getting more calm? Which one are you? See, the contagiously calm person is the one who reminds others to take a breath, and may be able to say, because God is in control. See, when things get out of control, it's Jesus 
who's sleeping on a boat that Ryan talked about last week in the midst of a storm that seasoned fishermen are not comfortable getting through. They're stressed, they're panicked, and who's not? Jesus. He understands something and wants to give us something that we often forget. So how do I become gentle in the midst of the storm? How do I, I become, if I'm a person who kind of explodes in the midst of and creates more chaos instead of calm with those around me, how do I do it? Well, we ask God. And we internally and understand. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Well, how can I let my gentleness be evident to all? The Lord is here. Now, I know it says the Lord is near. But that's not a great translation for the original Greek word because we think in our American mindset, near is like from me to Nathan. Like, yeah, he's near, he's close. That's not what that word means. It means he is here. He is here. In fact, when you accept Christ, he is in here. That's how near he is. And so we're allowed or able to have gentleness in the midst of chaos because of our recognition that God is here. He's on the boat with you in the midst of the storm. He is next to you in the midst of the chaos. You're fatigued and you're done with your day with your kids and your work and all that kind of stuff, but God is still here. And he promises to be with us. You are never, ever, ever alone. Now, there'll be times where you feel alone, where you think you're alone, but God promises that you will never be alone. In fact, we don't talk about this much outside of Christmas, but Jesus was given a name, right? His name was Emmanuel, which means what? God's with us. God is with us. Jesus, upon leaving this place, he tells his followers to go into all the world, but you will never, ever be alone. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So because the Lord is here, we have a chance to reduce the anxiety in our lives. In fact, our Bibles are put together. You may not know that the original writings of the Bible don't have numbers in it. In other words, somebody a while ago tried to help us by putting chapters and little numbers under there. So you turn to chapter 6, verse 5, so that you can help find your place there. The only problem with that, especially as, you know, as Americans, is that we think the chapter is the end of the thought, or the end of the verse is the end of the thought. We don't realize that it was actually it was one flowing letter from beginning to end, and the punctuation may not be exactly where we put it in our English Bibles. So if you were to really translate this next section, it may sound better to say something like this. The Lord is near, so consequently do not be anxious about about anything. Recognize that God is here, which causes us to recognize we're not alone. He's here. So we rejoice in the Lord always, not in our circumstance situation. We rejoice in God. I will say it again, rejoice. Let our gentleness be evident to all because God is here. We can be gentle. Recognizing that the times in which we find ourselves exploding is the times in which we're not recognizing that God is here, that he's present because we think for some reason it falls on our shoulders solely solely. So the Lord is here, and if he's here, don't miss this, then we're encouraged to bring that anxiety to him. We're encouraged to do, to do so. In fact, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, not just the big things, the little teeny tiny things. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, here's our response, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God tells this story, Jesus tells a story, you know, about this widow 
who goes to an unjust judge. She has some issues, and because of that first century, there's nobody to fight for her on the injustice that is taking place in her life. So she goes to what's called an unjust judge, a judge who doesn't care about God nor cares about man. And she goes over and over and over and pleads with him for justice over and over. Finally, he gives in because he's tired of her talking to him. He's like, I'm just so tired of this nuisance. The whole squeaky wheel gets the grease in our culture. The 10% of our culture seems to drive, you know, a lot of our culture because they're the ones over and over and over and over. Finally, people say, fine, we're just going to give in to what you have to say. And so this woman does this and she gets justice and she goes out and she celebrates. And what God says is, I'm not that. I'm way better than that. Don't you know if you come to me consistently and petition, I'm hearing your prayer. I'm here. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Literally ask God for help. Uh, Another story comes from Luke chapter 6. Many of you uh, may know this story. It's a story that's entitled Feeding the 5,000. And so just as a recap, Jesus uh, sees these people who need to be taught, and so he teaches them. You think my sermons are long? He teaches from morning till night. Okay? Just sitting and listening to Jesus. He's just talking, talking, talking. Finally, disciples come to him at some point and say, hey, Jesus, send send the people away. They're they're, going to be hungry and and, and, and they need to go off and get something to eat, someplace to stay. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. And they look around like, we, we can't feed these people. It would take us a year's wage just to give them a mouthful. You know, what are we supposed to do? He says, well, what do you have? And they went around and come find out they had five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Jesus said, have the people sit down. So they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. And he stands before them, thanks God, breaks it, begins to hand it out. And then that's when the miracle starts. They eat. And they don't just eat a morsel, they eat until they're full. I love that phrase. It reminds me of the graciousness and the love of God. So gracious and so generous is he that there are 12 basketfuls that are left over, which has a couple different meanings we don't have time to get into. And then the disciples being amazed that Jesus was able to do this. Now, here's some background that you may not know based on this story. At this point in the disciples' relationship with Jesus, do you know that they've already seen Jesus turn the water into wine? They've already seen Jesus heal sick people. They've seen Jesus raise a dead girl to life and to calm angry waves. And yet, did any one of them ask Jesus for help? No. Did it occur to anyone that Jesus was there, that they could count on him? They had the audacity to tell the creator of the world that nothing could be done because there wasn't enough money been there? Been there in that perspective? It's impossible. It can't, can't be done based on what we can see. See, on the one hand, you and I have problems. We have stress, we have anxiety, and worry. On the other hand, we have our own experience, we have our own knowledge, we have our own resources. And what we tend to do is we try to match our worry and anxiety with our resources and our situation, and we find ourselves becoming more and more anxious because there's a level and a point that you can't do it yourself. Or you feel like the whole world is on your shoulders. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. That's how it starts, it's something small. But Jesus is here. Now, we might not be facing 5,000 hungry people, but you might be facing a deadline in two days. Uh, You might be facing a loved one in need of a cure, a child who's being bullied at school or spouse intertwined with temptation. So don't miss this. And maybe if you don't get anything else, this is the one thing you need to hear this morning. Instead of starting with what we think we have, what if we start with Jesus? 
before you pick up the phone and tell your friend about what's going on, before you tell your spouse about how stressed you are and how long your day has been, before you explode to your work, before you go to social media, go to Jesus. And it's not to say we're not going to go to other people. It's not to say we're not going to be a part of the solution. It's not going to say that God's not going to use our resources. But here's what begins to happen. When you go to Jesus, you become more dependent on him and you begin to build a foundation of trust in him even as you're helping to get through whatever situation you're going through. Start with Jesus. What if we did that? Think about it for a second. Start with Jesus' wealth. How much money does Jesus have? Let's start with his resources, his strength, his perspective, his wisdom. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, which means he is the beginning and the end of all things. He is God in human form. He is the great deliverer, provider, director, and author of our faith. With him, we can do all things and nothing can separate us from his love. Amen? Amen. Start with Jesus. He is here and he's asking us to come to him. Start with the Father. Uh, in uh, John, in, uh, in the book, you know, Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing, he tells a story about a teenager who uh, has been asked by his father to get out a, a, a stump, a root, you know, and if you've ever tried to get out a stump out of your yard, you know it's not easy, especially the larger it is. So uh, the teenager goes to work. He's strong. He's been working out. And he tries everything with all of his might and all of his muscle. He goes into the garage, grabs every tool that he can find, and he gets to the end of the day completely exhausted and still has not made much impact onto this stump. And the father comes out to him, lovingly looks at him, and says, I can see what your problem is. To which the exasperated son looks at him and says, well, what is it? Father says, uh, you're not using all your strength. To which the son explodes on him. Are you kidding me? Have you watched me all day long use all of these things and all these tools and all these resources and I still can't do it? And the father said again, you're not using all your strength. The son finally calmed down and says, all right, what am I not using? Father just leaned into him and said these words. You haven't asked me for help yet. Right? Isn't that true? Some of us have some deep-seated anxiety. We've got deep-seated worry. we got some deep-seated stress. we got some deep-seated problems in our lives. And we have come to the point we are so tired and we're so exhausted with what we're facing. And anxiety is not the root. It's the stem of our dependence on self instead of our interdependence on God and one another. Here's one of the things I can tell you. Personally, as I've gone on this anxious journey, I, I can tell you that I have discovered my natural inclination to go to dependence. I can figure this out. Uh, and I didn't realize how ingrained and how deep my root system was uh, until I went to counseling and we traced it back to my childhood. That it's almost become a generational sin in our family. Even a Christian-loving family, that it's, it's a, you got this, you can take care of it, even in a form of encouragement, but so much so, it's, you better take care of this, you better handle this, and so growing up very easily with this, I've got to do this on my own, not realizing that I'm not in partnership with God until I'm at the end of me, and how often I find that in my own life, just trying to solve based on my past experience instead of saying, you know what, maybe I... God has a different plan for this person or a different plan for this situation and trying to go to him. 
what if we went to Jesus first? What if we said, Jesus, from here on out, I'm going to encourage one another. Let's go to God. Let's go to God together. Let's go to God individually. Let's go to Jesus first. Even if you think you have the solution, how much would that be a difference in our anxiety in our lives? What would begin to change? See, God loves us more than we could possibly know. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do we trust that God loves us more than we love ourselves? That's one that's that's going to mess with some of you this week. It's like, okay, do we trust that God loves me more than I love me? Do I trust that he has what's best for me? Because here's what I can promise you. If you, when you present this request to God, he will answer your prayer, guaranteed. Will he answer it in your way and your timing? Probably not, which is what creates some of the stress. I want you to do it this way. Now, hindsight is always 20-20, but do we believe that God knows best and that he actually has the best in mind? Because some of the stress, stress, some of the turmoil, some of the struggle is to help refine us, to help us to become more and more like him. And we don't see it at the time. We just want God to take it away, not realizing it's actually for our own benefit. So what happens is when we do this, is we'll begin to experience peace. Peace will begin to be experienced to the degree to which we turn to God. How much are we turning to Him? So as we end today, the contagious, calm person internally, in their past, in their present, and future, is a constant reminder to the lives of other people around, God is in control. I can't tell you how often I've been around people in other parts of the world who have far less than we have. Far less, I'm not talking about just financial resources, I'm talking about just things at their disposal to handle the problems that they face in life, and yet they find themselves in so much more calm than I find myself in or that I see our culture in, even those who are followers of Christ. And it's because they ask Jesus. They talk to him. So let's bring our worry, our stress, and our anxiety to God so we can begin to experience the peace that surpasses understanding. So instead of talking about this, I left us just a few moments for us to practice this. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And so here's how we're going to start. I need you to think of a worry. Can you do that? Shouldn't be hard. Okay? Think of any stress, any worry, any anxiety. Again, don't qualify it. Well, it's not a big stress. No, no. Anything. Present any request by prayer and petition, and the peace of God will begin. So I just want you to think of that stress, and I want to lead you in this prayer together. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to do this together. Lord, I pray that you would guide us right now. So go ahead in your own heart, in your own mind, just take a second to thank God that he is here. Just thank him that he is here. That he promises to never leave you, that he promises never to forsake us. If you've never done this before, I would just encourage you to say a simple prayer of surrender. Say, God, I know you're here but I give you my life. I surrender myself to you. God, thank you for being here, for in this place, in our hearts, in our lives. Now go ahead and take a moment to present to God any stress, any worry, any anxiety that you're experiencing right now and be specific, as specific as you can. Cry out to him as a child would cry out to a parent that we even just sang about just a few minutes ago. Tell God what's on your heart, what's on your mind.
And now tell God that you trust him. Even if you can't see the end result of this stress, worry, and anxiety, that you're not feeling it, that you're still praying, God, your will, not my own. That I trust that you have what's best for me, even if it doesn't seem like it at the time. Lord, your will, I trust you. Go ahead and tell him that now. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to you, that you even ask us as a loving father. Sometimes we think so often that you've got better things to do or, Lord, that we think that there are bigger things that are on your plate and yet you're asking us in every situation to present it to you so that we can begin to experience that peace. And I pray that this would be the start of an incredible week for these people in this room and who are watching online. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.